to receive all that you have for us. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. Thanks, Ian, and thanks, Judy. Um, so we're, we've got a passage here that we've just heard read to us. Um, it's the last, latest in our series about the early church in Acts. Um, and we hear about a man described as being lame from birth, a man with impaired mobility, um, and the miraculous healing that came to him. And you may be sitting there thinking, there's a certain irony, Mark, talking about that. <laughs> um, will he be leaping and dancing around the church at the end of this sermon? Um, I don't know. Who knows? God is a God of surprises. Um, but uh, as I was thinking about this, uh, I think it's about something much more than just about uh, the, healing, um, the healing of a physical infirmity. I think it's something much deeper, and I hope that as we explore this together, God might touch us uh, with that and reveal to us what it is that he has on his heart for us. So I'd like us just to begin to explore the passage, and I'd like us to start with just the two words at the beginning, which simply say, one day. It was a day. Just a day like any other day. The sky wasn't, I don't expect, any bluer, and the birds weren't singing any louder, and the sun wasn't shining any brighter. It was just a day. Any, just like any other day. And the man that we describe as the lame beggar had been helped out of bed, helped to get dressed, and carried to his usual spot at the temple gate. Just another day. And yet, before it was finished, it would be a day quite unlike any other. As the man lay there with his, I don't know, probably shriveled and twisted legs extended in front of him, he thought of all the days he had laid in front of the temple gate, and how those days stretched out like an endless horizon before him. I think he probably looked down at his useless legs, stretched out on the blanket in front of him. They were his, but they weren't really a part of him. He'd never felt them, he'd never moved them. He'd never run as a boy, he'd never walked as a man. And today was just another day. No better, no worse than all the others that had made up his life. And yet, without his knowledge, without his consent, today would become the day that he would never forget. And today would take him from being a beggar destined for an obscure life and death and would propel him into immortality. We've no idea who he was. We don't know his name. The Bible tells us nothing about his life up to that day and nothing really about his life after that day. But that day would be written about by a doctor and read about by millions upon millions of people over centuries, including ourselves. And the reason that it's been read about so much is because it is the story of a transforming God at work, a God who transforms. So I'd like us to see what we can learn about how lives are transformed by God. And I think we'll discover five things. The first thing is we'll discover a reality. It's very straightforward, very simple. The man that we call the lame man was a cripple. He was a man with a problem. 
It wasn't open to any debate, any discussion. There was no ifs, no buts. It was really clear. He was a man with a massive disability. He wasn't physically whole. He wasn't everything that a physical man is supposed to be. He was immobile. He couldn't walk. He couldn't help himself. He depended on others. And then the second thing we notice is not only was that a reality, but that was a reality that he'd faced up to. He was honest in his evaluation of himself. As we read the passage, as Judy read it to us, we saw that he, he needed to be carried and put outside the gate called Beautiful. He wasn't fooling himself. He knew that he was dependent on others. He'd come to grips with that a long time ago. And you probably don't need me to tell you. It was a rough time to be handicapped. There was no social security, no NHS. The man knew he had limited potential. He knew that all the dreams and all the hopes and all the aspirations in the world wouldn't make his dead legs function. He was honest in his evaluation. He needed his friends to take him out to beg. He couldn't walk there. He wasn't ever going to tap dance. He wasn't ever going to play for West Ham and win a European trophy. (laughs) Couldn't resist that one. (laughs) He had accepted the facts. If he was going to survive, it would be by begging. And so he sought out one of the most profitable spots, the main door to the temple, where the devout Jews came here at 9 a.m., at 12 noon, and at 3 p.m. People coming to worship God. And boy, could he make them feel guilty and beg for the alms. But the third thing that we see about this man was that he was expectant. Because it says in verse 5, so the man gave him his, so the man gave them, that is Peter and John, his attention, expecting to get something from them. He had a positive attitude. He knew how to beg. He asked for some change, and Peter said, look at us. And that's a good sign, isn't it, when somebody says, look at us, like that. Think about it. Have you ever come out of the tube station or out of a shop, and there's somebody asking you for something, rattling a tin or maybe something like that? And you turn away to avoid that eye contact. But if you look at them, you're in contact and you're expecting The man was expecting. And the fourth thing we note about him is that he believed. He was confident. He had a belief. Because in verses 6 and 7, it says, Peter said, silver or gold I do not have, but what I do have I give you. In the name of Jesus of Nazareth, walk. And taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. And instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. Put yourself in his spot. Every day of his adult life, he'd been carried to this spot to beg. Rain and shine, warm weather, cold weather, he had to beg or starve. He'd had days when he collected next to nothing, and maybe some other days when he tripled his usual take. He'd taken verbal and physical abuse, no doubt, from children, from teenagers, from adults. He'd been ridiculed, slandered, but he'd never heard anything like this. Never heard anything like this. He'd asked for change, and he'd been offered transformation. He'd asked for just a little trifle, and he'd been offered his whole life back. How would he react? How would you react? What thoughts would go through your head? 
I don't know if he'd even heard of Peter, John, or Jesus of Nazareth. Maybe he'd seen Jesus. I don't know. We'll never know. But what we do know is that he believed Peter because the passage tells us, taking him by the right hand, he helped him up. He didn't grab him under his arms and lift him. He took him by his hand and helped him up. Peter assisted the beggar to his feet. The beggar was putting the effort in. He believed. He wasn't just waiting to see what happened. And we know what happened. He was made whole. That's the fifth thing. The last part of verse 7, it says, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. One moment he was half a man. The next moment he was whole. One moment he was crippled. The next minute he was healed. Just as his handicap had been beyond dispute, so was his healing. Here was a man who'd been crippled by a cruel twist of fate. And yet now he was whole. Just as if his handicap had never been. He had been made whole. He had been made whole. So let me ask you a question. Are you whole? Are you complete? Or are you in some way crippled? My sense is, and I'm obviously speaking personally here, but my sense is that none of us here are the whole person, the person that God meant us to be. We all have things that cripple us, or if you prefer slightly less emotive language, things that limit us, that stop us being exactly the person God had meant us to be. I don't know what's limiting you, and I'm not going to tell you too much about what's limiting me. These may be personal things. It could be a physical issue, a health issue, a chronic illness, or it could be your circumstances. We talk about crippling debt, don't we? Or it might be something like loneliness, lost chances, a job loss, loss of people we love, a feeling that we're not worth much, depression. Sometimes the weight of the past can cripple us, sorrow in the lives of our children or friends, resentment, nostalgia, regret that things aren't like they used to be, or remorse, a sense that I can never put right the mistake that I made previously. Or maybe it's something that is very private, that you really would rather nobody else knew about. Someone or something you just can't forgive. That hatred keeps gnawing away at your heart. Or it's envy. Or it's pride. Or it's greed. Or it's an addiction. There are so many things that limit us, that prevent us from being the people God meant us to be. And I don't think there's a single one of us here that isn't, in some way, limited. And not quite the person that God wants us to be. In one sense, therefore, we're all crippled beggars lying by a roadside as life passes us by. We're trapped and immobile. But my friends, this passage is very clear. That's not what God wants for us. God wants us to be healed, our lives to be transformed. As he says in John 10, for us to have life in all its fullness. He doesn't want us lying on a roadside. 
He wants us standing up straight in the confidence of his love and as his dearly treasured children. And he wants us, as the writer of Hebrews puts it, to approach him, certain of his approval. It goes like this. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. So what can we do about it? How can we go about having this life of fullness that God wants for us? Well, I think the lessons are just the same as they were for the beggar. He knew what his problem was. And he thought he knew what the answer was. He thought some small change, a coin or two, was the answer. And what he realized was actually it was major change. It was transformation that was the answer. And that's the same for us. The transformation of knowing the power of the Lord Jesus in our life to transform us. That's the healing we need. That's the transformation we need. Our greatest need is to have a vibrant relationship with Christ. Some of you may be thinking, I haven't got that. I don't know what he's talking about. What is the vibrant relationship with Christ? If you're there, do come and talk to me or to Sam afterwards, and we'd love to tell you more about it. Or you may be thinking, actually, I've got a relationship with Jesus, but I don't know that I'd quite describe it as vibrant. Well, let's see where we go with that. So if we're honest in our evaluation of ourselves, if we can echo what Paul wrote to the Romans when he said, we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. Where do we go beyond that? How does it progress? Well, I think it is really simple. It's just like the lame beggar. We need to be expectant. We need to admit our need of God and be expectant that he will address that need, that he will meet that need. It's really simple. We need to approach God in prayer, admitting our need and expecting an answer. On Father's Day, perhaps it's a good time to remember what uh, Jesus said when he said, is there a father among you will offer his son a stone if he asks for bread? And so on. You might know the passage. We have a heavenly father who wants to give us good things. I could tell you stories about how my kids have extorted good things from me over the years in quite scurrilous ways. Maybe for another time. But it's in my heart that I want to give my children good things. And if it's in my poor heart, then how much more is it in my perfect Heavenly Father's heart? But the beggar wouldn't have got anywhere if he hadn't asked. So God needs to be approached with a positive attitude. And that positive attitude needs to spill over into that last point of belief. Just cast our mind back. So there was the beggar lying on the mat and Peter told him to stand up and walk. He believed. He did it. When Peter put out his hand, he expected and believed and he was made whole. And in the last part of verse 7, it says, instantly the man's feet and ankles became strong. So I don't know what it is that you might have been thinking about when I was suggesting things that might limit us, might cripple us in that very emotive language. But I want to ask you another question. Do you believe 
that you can be made whole today, that whatever is crippling you and preventing you from living life in all its fullness can be healed, that you can be made whole. I promise you that through the power of Almighty God, who raised his son Jesus Christ from the dead, there is nothing that can limit you that God cannot deal with. I hope there may be a time of ministry later. It might be a personal time where you just do some business with God or it might be something we do as a whole church. Um, But when you can receive that wonderful transformation, when we can allow the power of God to flow through our lives in response to the prayer of transformation that we might ask. There's a verse that came to mind as I was thinking about this. It's from 2 Corinthians, and it's this. If anyone is in Christ, there is a new creation. Everything old has passed away. Everything has become new. This is the promise of God. I'm tempted to stop here. You may wish that I did. But this passage is about not just one transformed life, but two transformed lives. Because look at Peter. Look at Peter, that defeated, weeping disciple in the court on the night before Jesus died as the cock crowed. The broken man, now standing up and saying, stand up and walk. What a transformed life. Peter has shown powerfully and successfully continuing the Lord's work, the things that Jesus began to do. And he was really clear. The miracle that he performed was not done through his own strength, but done, and you can read the words, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. In other words, it was Christ's power and Christ's authority. Luke, who wrote the Acts of the Apostles, wants us to understand that Peter is continuing to do the things Jesus did, which included making the lame walk. And how does this come about? Well, the answer is simple. We're reading Acts 3. If we read Acts 1 and 2, the answer stares us in the face. When the disciples, including Peter, are commanded by Jesus before his ascension to wait in the city until they are clothed with power from on high, And then the culmination in Acts 2 of Pentecost morning. The work of Jesus cannot be continued unless it is done in the power of the Spirit of God. Jesus made that clear when he laid out his agenda of what his ministry of transforming lives would be like in Luke 4. You know the passage. He announced that he had come to proclaim good news to the poor, to proclaim freedom for the prisoners, recovery of sight for the blind, to set the oppressed free to transform lives in other things. And how did he do that? We, the, verse, the words at the beginning of the verse, just before I quoted those things, the Spirit of the Lord is on me. We need the Spirit of God. God's work can only be done through the power of God's Spirit. And we are called to continue Jesus' work and to be his representatives on earth As Jesus briefed his disciples before his arrest, he told them, very truly I tell you, whoever believes in me will do the works I have been doing and they will do even greater things than these because I am going to the Father. So do we know what our role is as Christians? 
as followers of Jesus? It's simply to carry on his work, to play a part in bringing about the kingdom of God. Sometimes we read passages in the Bible, like the one we've just been reading today, as history lessons, as things that used to happen. We allow ourselves to believe that that was for another time, not for now. We accept a narrative that seems to be that, you know, this kingdom of God thing started okay, but it's kind of tapered out. And that God shrugged his shoulders and said, well, I tried it and it didn't really work, so we just get on. God has not run out of steam. God has not given up on the mission of bringing the kingdom of God into being. God never, ever gives up. My friends, the kingdom of God is growing. The kingdom of God is amongst us. We see signs of the kingdom all around us. Let us pray for more. Or maybe we believe that our part in the kingdom of God is to be a spectator, to do what I've just said, to look around for signs in other people. That's not how it should be. The good news of Jesus Christ is that every single one of us has a part in building the kingdom and every single one of us has a life that can be transformed by the power of God. Look at what happened to the lame beggar after he was healed. We read that jumping up, he stood and began to walk and he entered the temple with them, walking and leaping and praising God. I like this. Nobody had to tell him to go to the temple. Nobody told him he should thank God. He knew he had to. And his very first act was of praise and thanksgiving and worship. He was on fire and he wanted to share it with everyone he met. He didn't worry about whether that would offend people or whether it would drive them away. He just wanted to tell them what the Lord had done. The lame beggar became an evangelist. And Peter had become a church builder. Transformed lives. As the power of the Spirit of God invades people's lives, they, we, are transformed into kingdom builders. We've got living proof of that in front of us today. I remember being part of the leadership of an Alpha course nearly 20 years ago here at St. John's, and we had a woman who came on this course, a woman who worked at the BBC in children's TV. You're blushing, Catherine, and rightly so. Catherine has a wonderful story of how through his Holy Spirit, God has transformed her life and through her, the lives of many others. Through her ministry as a member of St. James, her outreach work in SNPs, and then on the Grove Estate. And Catherine, boy, are we looking forward to seeing what the next season holds and how God will continue to transform you and others through you and build his kingdom. And it reminded me as I was thinking about this and remembering that time, Catherine, that the Alpha Course was being used by God as part of his transformation, a small part in his plan of transformation. And it's so good that we're running Alpha again today. It was so good to hear about and love to hear more about what happened yesterday and what's been happening through this course. I think it's time for me to wind up now. I hope maybe that God has uh, in some way touched you and spoken to you, that God has said to you, I want to transform you.
you can be closer to the image of Christ. You can be more like the person that I meant you to be. He doesn't say that in judgment on you. He says that in hope and aspiration for you because he is a great heavenly father who has good things for you. I'll end with one final thought, therefore. And I'll take you back to the first verse. And it says this, one day when Peter and John were going up to the temple at the time of prayer, at the time of prayer, just as with the lame beggar, Peter's transformation came about through prayer, through the simple act of asking Jesus to transform him and enable him to do the Lord's work of transforming lives and building the kingdom of God. And do you know what? I don't think Peter invented that. I don't think that was Peter's idea to do it. I think Peter had learned that from his Lord, who, as he went about his ministry, regularly devoted himself to times of prayer and solitude. So what are the two things that we need to depend on for transformed lives? One, the Spirit of God. And two, spending time with God, seeking him in prayer. So let me close then by praying now. Heavenly Father, Lord God, I come to you as a man in need, a man with limitations, a man whose life is not what you would like it to be. And I come before you in that reality, knowing that you are a God who transforms lives. And so I ask you to transform my life, to transform the lives of my brothers and sisters here. Pour out your Holy Spirit, I pray. Invade our lives with your power. Change us and rearrange us so that we may be better reflections of you. We may be able to do the things that you do, things that you would have us to do, and build your kingdom for the glory of your name. Amen.